Good morning. I know this looks like some gothic art, uh, pop art thing back here, but uh, it's the choir. Um, all black. Uh, it's good. That's, and I'm glad to see him up here. Amen. Uh, look, a lot of things are happening. That's changing. We got to get some of our choir back and in, in, in praising the Lord uh, with us and for us. Um, also, uh, starting uh, next week, we're going back to our Sunday schools. Okay, we're going to have two adult classes, and the youth, and then the children. Uh, one of the adult classes will be over here. I'll be teaching it with a number of other um, of the ruling elders in the Fellowship Center. We'll be doing the Gospel Project. Weston will be teaching upstairs above the youth, the youth upstairs building there, um, teaching uh, the, title, the title of this, The Gospel in the Old Testament. Uh, the rules are the same as our worship here. We wear a mask, uh, and uh, we will sort of social distance, move chairs around, that kind of thing, other than the teacher, um, and they don't necessarily have to uh, have to wear the mask. Um, but that will be starting uh, next week on the, the 22nd. And uh, as to what time it is, um, that will depend on what time the service is. Um, if we're outside, it will be at 9 o'clock. If we're inside, it'll be 10 o'clock between the two services. And so uh, and you'll know exactly when that's going to be by the, at the end of this week. Right now, things are looking pretty good for an outdoor uh, service um, next week. A few other things. Notice that in your bulletin, there's a poinsettia here. Um, you, you've got the for, you, for memorials and honor people. Um, um, I really want to encourage you to be a part of that, and we do this every Christmas, and I think uh, the requests have to be in by, what does it say, December 6th, okay? So you'll be hearing uh, more of that. Also, there's a number of things we're doing, um, outreaches during this season. Um, first of all, we have the, the Operation Christmas Child, which we've done most years. And uh, if you want more information with that, look on all these things. We'll be looking at our e-letters, the website. Uh, you can call the church. We have flyers. Um, but I'm pretty sure that this coming week is Collection Week. So starting tomorrow through the following Monday, the 16th to the 23rd, um, they're collecting collecting those shoe boxes uh, full of toys. And I've, as I've I've shared it before, but um, it, it, it's worth noting um, when one of my daughters was deep in the Amazon four or five years ago doing a nursing uh, tour down there, there were those boxes in these various huts and things. So they go, they go around the world. They're a wonderful blessing. Um, if you want to be a part of that, um, um, you, if you bring us the box, we'll get it to the larger drop-off places um, in the city. Also, um, Shower Power Mississippi is running a... Uh, um, uh, a drive, uh, you know, maybe used coats and that kind of things. Um, they said particularly they want men's coats, um, and uh, but they also want gloves and uh, skull caps, sleeping bags, but I'm sure all that kind of thing that would take to keep people warm. Uh, we have little um, receptacles here in, in the lobby and, and, and then in the um, office. That's but if you just bring them and leave them there, we'll make sure we get them to the proper people. And so, again, there will be more information uh, coming out about that. And finally, also, and we did one earlier that, um, you know, the, the, the word out is out that there's just a lot of need for blood donors, and there's just not enough people doing it um, for it's also pretty hard, particularly because of the pandemic. Um, but it's going to be December 4th here at the church, kind of like we did it last time. It'll be in the... Anybody showing that you may have had COVID and not known it, um, you 
If you're joining us, uh, uh, we are so thankful. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, you can turn in shoeboxes this week. Um, we talked about Shower Power, which is, I don't, I don't know how many of you are familiar with that, but it is a mission that that's in Jackson, and basically they help the homeless have showers, and they wash their clothes and give them fresh clothes when they come out of the showers. So what they've asked us to do, and asked us to do, is to collect coats and school caps and gloves, that kind of thing, for the men when it's going to be cold, the mainly service men in this ministry. And then the other thing is just that we're going to be uh, donating blood. That, that blood donation date is December the 4th. That's This will be a Friday afternoon from like noon to, I think, 6. And we'll be sending out uh, via email ways to sign up for uh, donation slots. Uh, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. That's what we're doing this morning. And I want to invite you to stand if you're able. And we'll be called to worship by saying together the Apostles' Creed where we state our faith. It begins like this. I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we enjoy the ministry of music.
If you would, please now stand as we continue our worship with all creatures of our God and King. yet been able to um, uh, put your pledge card in. Uh, you know, this is how different churches do it a different way, but here at Lakeside we uh, work on our, our We have not done that. We can, of course, take that at any time. Uh, you can certainly um, put it in the, um, the, the offering box at the, uh, the rear of the sanctuary there. Uh, as well as call the church, bring it by, mail it, how, however you want to do that. Give it to a deacon. Um, if you don't have a card, there are a number out on the little boxes Um, the Apostle Peter, um, um, in the first century, and he says, 
He himself bore our sins in his body on you have been healed. for opening our Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as
I know, I'll be quick. <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny, we, uh, we started doing this back in March with, with differences and restrictions, and we didn't meet at first, and, and I remember uh, every, every week we would do this kind of countdown thing where I'd go like, can you believe it's been five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks? I, I remember specifically getting up here, we were, we were starting our stream, and I go, 11 weeks, can you believe we're 11 weeks? Would y'all believe we're at 36 weeks this week? Since we started doing strange worship and um, we do what we have to do uh, for the church to persist. Um, I really wanted to be outside again because so many more of our friends feel free to be here when we're outside. And uh, unfortunately the weather, you know, it, it's always that it's 50% chance of rain. So how much of a gambler are you? You know, um, I was so pleased today when I came here and it was, it was raining. I was like, thank you, Lord. We picked right. We picked. We, we knew it was good. We've been uh, we've been talking about thankfulness, and it makes sense. It's it's November, you know. We're we're, we're heading towards Thanksgiving. It makes some sense to talk about thankfulness. Um, two weeks ago, we read about a man who was healed from leprosy, and what we saw is that he returned and worshipped Jesus. And for us, that was instructive. We said, okay, there's something about that that we need to look at in our own lives. We've we've been healed of, of great great sin, and we need to return and worship Jesus. And then last week. Uh, we read about a man we called the demoniac. He had this legion of demons, and after being healed, uh, he wants to follow Jesus. Instead, Jesus tells him, go uh, to your friends and tell them all that the Lord has done for you. And so he kind of sends this man and, and, and creates an evangelist out of a man who had once been possessed by demons. And for us, that was instructive too. So up to this point in our sermon series, we found two ways to respond to God in our thanksgiving. One is that we... Uh, go to Jesus, we fall on his feet and we worship. The other is that we become evangelists and we go to our friends and we tell them all the good things that Christ has done for us. And today I want to examine another thankful life that we read about in the Bible and I want to look at the life of King David. I want to look at how King David responds to uh, being thankful, especially there was this point in his, in his life where uh, he, was, he was king, he found himself king, not just of all of Israel, of all the 12 tribes. And you can imagine it was just an amazing period uh, in David's life. And, and he acts out of thankfulness. And I want to examine how he acts out of thankfulness. But first, I want, listen, allow me the chance uh, to give a brief overview, and I mean very brief, of David's life. Just so we can look at maybe why he might be thankful. You know, as, as a young man, David found himself anointed to be the next king of Israel. Saul was the current king of Israel. But, but David, the young man, finds himself a out and he fights the greatest of the Philistines champion, a giant we call Goliath. And you all know this story. And thanks to the Lord's favor, David as a young man slings these stones, hits Goliath in the head, de defeats this giant of a man. Remember when King Saul couldn't sleep at night and he would have these great nightmares? Who did they send in uh, to comfort Saul? It was David because David was this incredible musician and he could play uh, the lyre in such a way that it really calmed the nerves of King Saul. You know, some guys have all the gifts. And as you look at David, you look at a guy who seems to have all the gifts. He's really, he's, he's anointed to be the eventual king. He, he's great at, at music. He's a great warrior. Uh, he's a great leader. Men would follow King David. He's a very gifted guy. 
But he knows these talents are gifts from God. And, and as he grew in, in kind of maturity and as he grew in strength, David joins the military and eventually becomes the leader of the military. And if you remember the story, he would lead men in battle. And before long, he became this national hero, King David. And they were singing songs about King David. You know, Saul has killed his thousands. David's killed his tens of thousands. And, and, and what happened is King Saul got jealous. Remember this, because of all the, the, the hero that David had become, all the songs people would sing about him. And, and so Saul began to try to destroy David. And then you begin to see like a long battle between these two. Eventually, Saul takes his own life. He leans on his own spear. And soon afterwards, uh, David becomes king of Judah. Now, if, if you've been following along at home, remember there were 12 tribes of Israel. And they have split into two kingdoms, and the southern kingdom is Judah. And when David is just 30 years old, that's a young age. I mean, for us, we would think it was young, maybe not in the history of the world, to become a king. But at 30 years old, David becomes king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, he's king of Judah for about seven and a half years uh, before he becomes king of the north as well. There's a few more battles to be fought there. But uh, when David's 37 and a half years old or so, he becomes king of both the north and and the south. Um, and so, you know, what we see in David is a man who has, since the beginning of his life, understood the favor of the Lord. Yes, he's a man of great character and great talents, but more than that, he understands the favor of the Lord. And so I guess my question for you in trying to apply that to our own lives today is this. Have you ever felt in your own life that the favor of the Lord rested upon you? shown a great favor from God. And let me consider some ways that, that, that could be with you for a second. Consider, uh, when you consider all of history from the beginning of time till now, and you consider all of the geography of this world, all the places where you could have been born in time, and all the places you could have been born in geography, according to God's good plan, you were born in a place where most people don't struggle to eat. places where people struggle to eat and in the scheme of uh, history there have been a lot of times where people have struggled to eat but there is hunger in Mississippi there is hunger in this area but for the most part people around here don't struggle you've had Surgery is a privilege not shared by most of humanity. I was uh, a senior high school. It was a bad
Uh, if you're a person Jesus as Lord, if, if you can do that, if you can confess Jesus as Lord, well then obviously I want to tell you that you are dripping with favor. If you believe in Jesus, that's the greatest sign of God's favor for you. So make no mistake, like David, in a lot of ways we have favor in our life. And uh, so what do we do in response to that favor? And we'll look at David today, we'll ask the same question. What did David do out of, out of, out of his thanksgiving for God's favor? Um, especially at this time when we see the, the 12 tribes united, he becomes king over north and south. Uh, I want to tell you what David does, okay? We'll, we'll just get through that. This is what David does in response. David decides that it is time to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. That is his act of thanksgiving. Uh, he's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And I guess that leads to two really important questions, uh, which is, one, what is the Ark of the Covenant? And two, why does he want to bring it into the city of David? Why does David want to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem? So let's, let's kind of address these two questions. First question, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, if you've been in church your whole life, this may seem redundant, but it'll be a good refresher. Let's, let's do that. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant is a box. It's made out of two materials. Uh, the first material was it, was it was made out of a wood called acacia wood. It was a local wood uh, that was very tough, durable, uh, even heavy. And the other material used was, was what Scripture defines as pure gold. It was a box that was built out of acacia wood, and then it was covered in gold. The box was built according to the exact specifications that the Lord laid out in Exodus 25. Uh, I have that. If you have a bulletin today, you have that insert. It's got scripture in it. And what you can find is that first piece of scripture is Exodus 25. It's going to talk about all the exact specifications that the ark was to be built by. Let's talk about its size. It was three and a quarter feet wide. I think that's about three and a quarter feet wide, right? It was about two and a quarter feet tall, and it was about two and a quarter feet deep. So similar dimensions, if you'll think about this, to a, the kind of chest that people used to have at the foot of their bed to put their linens in, you know, that same size chest. It's not giant, but as you can imagine, if it was made out of wood, a case of wood, and, and then covered in this gilded in this gold, it would be kind of heavy, be a heavy box. And one of the main reasons that the Ark of the Covenant is so heavy is because of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. We haven't talked about that yet. On the lid of the Ark of the Covenant are these two uh, giant sculptures. They're, they're sculptures of, of cherubim, which is a kind of an angel, and they're both made out of gold, and they're facing each other kind of on each edge, and they're holding their wings out like this, like they're covering the box and so you've got one on this side, he's facing one on this side, and, and at their wings, kind of held out like this, they're kind of over, they're, they're kind of covering the ark there. And the top of the, the, there, the top of the ark of the covenant, the name of that is called the mercy seat. You ever heard of that before? The top of the ark of the covenant is called the mercy seat. And what God says about the top or the mercy seat can be read about in Exodus 25, 22. I'll read it for you. Uh, it says this. There, this is the Lord speaking, there I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from in between the two cherubim that are on the ark of testimony. I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So God tells, telling his people, 
I'm going to meet with you in the place that I'm going to occupy. God is, uh, God is at all places, right? We understand that. But the place he's going to occupy to meet with people is in this mercy seat in between these two cherubim where they have their wings uh, spread out. And so you can understand that, that if you were an Israelite, this would become a very important piece of furniture for you, right? A very important thing. And uh, it's a place where God plans on meeting his people. You can see why it would become highly respected and highly revered for Israel. It's a plan for how God is going to reveal himself to the people of Israel. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you've ever really looked at a lot of the imagery of the Ark of the Covenant, but I want to suggest to you that a lot of the imagery of the Ark of the Covenant points towards Jesus. Okay, that a lot of it is going to foreshadow Jesus. The Ark is actually a picture of the person and the saving work of Christ. And it's kind of awesome when you think about it, and I'll just kind of point a few things out. Uh, it may seem like I'm stretching but when you see it all together, it's kind of hard to deny. You're like, oh, God, there's a lot there. The first is when you think about the nature of, of the ark, it's made of two things. It's made of wood and gold. We understand Jesus is made of two things. He's fully God and he's fully man. Inside the ark, uh, God instructed his people to put his law. And what are we talking about there? We're talking about the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and that's two points to Jesus because we understand Jesus is the only one who kept the law perfectly. He's the only one who was blameless before God. Inside the ark, God told his people to put a golden bowl of manna. Remember, manna was by which uh, God fed his people in the wilderness. And Jesus, too, in the New Testament, then turns around and says, hey, listen, I am the bread of life. And so we begin to see that all these things from uh, the ark of the covenant kind of point towards the eventual Jesus. God also said to put the staff of Aaron, right? He said, put the staff of Aaron in the ark. And I don't know if you know the significance of Aaron's staff, but Aaron was the priest of Israel, okay? And he was to be a mediator between God and his people. And by including his staff in the, in the ark of the covenant, God's affirming this decision to have a priestly mediator between man and God. And while, while Aaron may have been the, the, the priest for a season, Jesus became the ultimate mediator between God and man. You begin to see over and over again, all these things kind of point to Jesus. Ultimately and most fully, we see this on the Day of Atonement. You know what happened on the Day of Atonement is that the priest would, would come in before uh, the ark, and right there where the angel's wings kind of come together, the, the cherubim's wings come together, he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice there. And, and if, if, you, if you think about this pointing forward to Jesus, it's so hard not to see that, right? It's so hard not to see uh, that, that we know that the ultimate blood of Jesus across the world is some great day of atonement. But here, the Ark of the Covenant uh, that, that's foreshadowing Jesus is seen uh, by the sprinkling of blood. Uh, I hope that we've answered the first question that we asked today was, what is the Ark of the Covenant? And the second question we asked is, David want to bring this Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem? What, what was the significance, right? Well, uh, I, I think David we talked a little bit about Saul today and about their battles. The worship of God had kind of languished. It, it had kind of faded. The, the, the nation of Israel wasn't really faithful in their worship as David wanted them to be. The Ark of the Covenant had actually lost itself. And even after it had been found, the, the, the Israelites discovered it, they never returned it to its rightful place in the tabernacle. 
And, and Saul, the way he kind of interacted with some of the priests and things, Saul had, slat, had, excuse me, had slaughtered the priest who had been responsible for the tabernacle. And, uh, and at that point, you know, some of the remaining priests fleed to be with David in, in exile there. And Saul was left in, you know, Israel was kind of left in this really strange place. Saul had, had, had no priest. He had no way of really communing with God. He didn't really want to. And if you remember the story, Saul was in such a weird place spiritually that when he wanted spiritual advice, he looked to the witch of Endor. Remember, he, he goes to this medium, this witch of Endor for spiritual guidance. Saul was in a strange place. David wanted to be different. If he was going to be king, he wanted Israel to know God and to fear God and to love God, and he longs to renew the worship of Yahweh. So when he becomes king over both north and south, he decides it is time to go and get the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Uh, do you know this story? You know the story of when uh, David goes to get the Ark and brings it into Jerusalem? It's not smooth sailing. Okay, it's not all gonna. It's not all roses. David means well. I mean, he's, he's well intended. He is. He, he wants to do well, but David doesn't really do his homework. Uh, you see, there's some standards for moving the ark. There's some biblical standards. There's a, there is a set and a reverent way you move the ark, and it seems that David doesn't understand this. He doesn't know this. There, there's some reason why David doesn't do this. The first place we see mention of this standard for moving the ark is back in Exodus 25 again. We, we kind of have it in that sheet there. It, it, the specifications for, it talks about how to build the ark. Exodus 25 verses 14 through 15 say this. It says, and you shall put uh, the poles into the rings on the side of the ark's uh, by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Okay, so we've talked about how the ark is heavy, and what God does is when he's giving instructions on how to build it, he says, you know, on the side of the ark, I want you to build these big rings on it, either side, and then I want you to take poles and put the poles in the rings, and I want the poles to always stay in the rings. God's If you'll stand now. And before we read this, uh, let me pray that God helps me with pronunciation. Pray. God, uh, I do thank you for your grace for us as we come to your word. Think about David and uh, this, this story of wanting to see uh, the ark brought back into Jerusalem. God, we, we want to see you lift up your name, lift up as well. Um, be with us now as we gather around your word. We pray this. David
power from God. Because the Lord that place is called Perez. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside the house of And the ark of the Lord three months, and the Lord blessed Abedidim and all of his household. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I think I did okay on those names. If I didn't, I don't want to know. I just don't tell me. Um, a well-intended David sends some good, well-intended men to go and get the Ark of the Covenant, right? And uh, what no one seems to recognize is that God is a holy and righteous and dangerous and mighty and not to be taken lightly even by well-intended men. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Um, out of a thankful heart, David sends, sets out to, to bring the Ark of Jerusalem and to lead his people in worship, but he does so in a way that is contrary to the Word of God. He's well-intended, but he's wrong in the way he goes about it. He doesn't seek the Word of God on how to handle the Ark of the Covenant, and as a result, um, Yuza is struck down. Uh, this has to be instructive for us a little bit as we consider how to approach the Lord in matters uh, not just that we're thankful, because David was thankful. It matters that in our thankfulness, we worship God in a way that he instructed us to do. Because um, in this story, we see where, where good intentioned people handle the ark of the covenant contrary to the word of God, and God's anger is stroked against Yuza, and, he's, and he dies, and, and David's mad, and we don't really find out why David's mad. He's either mad because God struck down Yuza, or he's mad because he realizes his own sloppiness, his own error, or some mixture of both, but it's really a nightmare scenario. 2 Samuel 6, 9 through 10 says this, and, and it says that, and David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the covenant come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And uh, I feel like Obed-Edom uh, probably won the lottery in this story. Like he, 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 the ark of the Lord shows up at his house and all we hear about it is that, is that he was blessed from it. He didn't do anything. He didn't have to move it. And all of a sudden the ark of the Lord's there at his house. And I don't know what it means, you know, in this context to say he was blessed. Maybe everything he did just kind of started to prosper. David, however, is heartbroken. He realizes that he was probably a bit naive. He realizes that he, he doesn't want to take the ark into the city. It's just too dangerous. So he, he dumps it for three months at the house of Obed-Edom. And let's read about what happens next. I want you to remain seated. But we're going to read together from 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 23. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went 
And he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who had bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Verse 16, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David then offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael... The daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, and if I may say quite sarcastically, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abashed in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. In the three months uh, that David left the Ark of the Covenant at the house of Obed-Edom, it appears David has to do some serious soul-searching. Uh, David uh, must have gone back. He must have studied the Word of God because he seems to have this aha moment of what went wrong. I, I moved it wrong. I, I, I knew, I figured out we've handled the ark of, of God wrong. And David again decides to go and bring the ark to Jerusalem. This time he's armed with the study of the Word of God and a newfound reverence and fear of the Lord. And Scripture says there's much rejoicing in the way he goes after the ark. And instead of using the ark, uh, instead of using a cart this time, which we actually read about in other places in the Scripture, when the Philistines moved the Ark of the Covenant, they used a cart. Now, this is very much not an Israel way to, to move the Ark. Instead, this time they do it the right way. They, they use the poles. The priests get under the poles and they start to move it. And, and they'd only gone six steps when David sacrifices an ox and an fatted animal. And uh, it's, a, it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now, something happens in this text right here, and I want you to see it. It's something controversial, and uh, people talk about it a lot, and uh, they, I think they get a little confused. Let's look to, together and see if we can figure out the controversy that's happening here. First, we read that David offers a sacrifice. That's what we read. Remember, the sacrifice is after they've gone six steps, and David offers the sacrifice. And then in verse 14, we read this, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. This is the controversy. Most people think that the controversy is one of 
it's, it's one of modesty. They think that David's being immodest here, and he, he's, he's dancing immodest in this loincloth, and I've I think you probably have too. You've heard people talk about David dancing naked before the Lord and, and they make a big deal about that and, and, and that is not prescriptive. Everyone needs to wear clothes next week. Like I want you to worship the Lord just not in your underoos. Uh, that is not the heart of what's going on here. It's, it's something else. You've missed it. Let's look closer. David's modesty is not the big controversy. The big controversy is this. David is acting like a priest. I need you to understand that. The big, the big controversy is that David is acting like a priest. And many people believe in some sort of separation of church and state. And now here is the king, the ruler, who's acting like a priest. And maybe people are thinking, I want my king to be a king, and I want my priest to be a priest, but I don't want my king instructing me on priestly things, Right? And so what is controversial here is that the king is acting like a priest. Only priests could offer sacrifices, and here is David after the sixth step offering a sacrifice. And he takes off his kingly robes. You know, you, we always hear about the, the robes of a king that are in that, that blue or that purple that identify them as royalty. He takes off his kingly robes and instead wears this linen ephod which is associated, I don't know if you know this, it's associated with priests who are doing their duty. If you look at other places, you see Samuel doing his duty, wearing an ephod like this. The controversy is not a naked man dancing. The controversy is a king acting like a priest. David enters into Jerusalem, and he's leading the procession of priests. He's dressed as a priest, and he's worshiping God in a manner that many people would deem only appropriate for a priest. How would Israel think about their new king now that he had dropped his kingly robes and was dancing as a priest before the Lord? Surely some people would say, as I said earlier, I want my king to be a king and I want my priest to be a priest. I want separation there. I don't know how I feel about my king acting so undignified. And verse 16 says that maybe his wife feels the same way. Uh, Michael, the daughter of Saul, is says this, as, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She didn't get it. She thought that kind of behavior was beneath a king. She didn't understand David's motives. But David keeps it up. He doesn't stop as they come into the town. He keeps acting like a priest. It says that, that David sets the ark in a tent that he's prepared for it. And then he himself, David, offers burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he blesses the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then as a king, he kind of switches back and forth in between roles, says he feeds his people. But when David returns home, Michael, his wife, is going to give him an earful. An earful. You know, she, she comes out to David and she says in verse 20, and we talked about the sarcasm as we read it earlier, she says, how the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants. And you can just hear it. It's, it's angry. It's disappointed. I think there's an element of jealousy here as well. I mean, she doesn't want her husband uh, wearing a linen ephod in front of the servant girls. But I think the bigger issue is one of dignity. She thinks that wearing that priestly garment was below the office of a king. 
You know, the way that she would, he would dress like a priest and, and to dance like one of those religious zealots before the Lord. She's probably saying, David, you were really undignified today. And, and more than that, uh, she probably was really embarrassed. David's response is, is, is really interesting. Verses 21 and 22. He says this. It, he says, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father, which I'm, I'm, this is not a healthy marriage right now, Right? If you're, telling, if you're telling your wife, you know, God chose me over your dead dad, you know, it, it was before the Lord, he chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet even more contemptible than this. In other words, uh, he says, I was dancing before my Lord, and yes, it may seem undignified to you, but just Wait. I will make myself even more undignified before the Lord. Isn't that a great line for a king to say? Just wait. I'm going to make myself even more contemptible or even more undignified. It doesn't mean that David's going to act like a fool or just, it means that as the king of Israel, he's going to bow low. He's going to humble himself to the Lord of all creation. And anyone who finds that offensive, well prepared to be offended by David. That's what he does. We've been reading today from the story of David, and we've asked this question. What does David do out of thanksgiving when the Lord makes him king over Israel? And we've seen that what David does is that he goes and he gets the ark, and he places it in the center of Jerusalem, because for David, the Lord would be at the center of his rule, at the center of his kingdom, at the center of his life, and at the center of his legacy and David would not just be a king, but he would also be a priest before the Lord. And David was a dignified king, yes, but he would also be undignified before the king of heaven in the way that he led his people in worship. So I guess the last question to ask is this one. What is there for you in this text? If we would apply this to our own lives, what is there for you in this great text of David bringing the ark into Jerusalem? What might it mean for you to bring the ark and have it be the center of your life? And probably a better way to ask that question would be to ask, uh, what does it mean to bring Jesus to be the center of your life? Because we talked about the ark pointing to Jesus, and we have Jesus now. What does it mean for you to have Jesus in the center of your life? I mean, some of you have Jesus in your life. He's just kind of on the periphery, and maybe Sunday mornings he's there. Maybe it's a helpful question for you to ask what it would mean to have Christ be the center of your career of your business, and of your ministry, and of your legacy. Secondly, the question I would ask you was, what bit of your personal dignity um, keeps you from properly worshiping Christ? I think that, that, that's an interesting question. Are you, are you too concerned about your image or your stature to sacrifice and worship Christ in the way that we saw David do that would be considered undignified? Um, we are Presbyterians, and as such, sometimes we are guilty and accused of being the frozen chosen. David would not have fallen into that category, right? Uh, are, we, are we at times too dignified? It's a question worth asking. These are two things we saw David do out of Thanksgiving. He brought the ark into the city. He became a priest, even to the point of being criticized by his wife as being undignified. Your charge is to do the same. Out of thanksgiving, make Christ the center of your life 
and worship him with all your might, even to a point that seems undignified. Let's pray and thanks God for his word this morning. God, we do uh, thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us uh, in a manner that is not completely different from the way that you revealed yourself to Israel. You revealed yourself to Israel by your word and, and even by your ark. And, and God, you reveal yourself to us by Jesus and by your word. And so we thank you. And out of our thankfulness, God, we want to, to do things. As a church, we try to be helpful in that, God. We try to find uh, ways for people to give back out of thankfulness. We, we look at um, shower power. We look at blood drives. We look at Operation Christmas Child. There are things for us to do out of our thanksgiving. May we be a thankful people where we recognize that we were sinners separated from our God, but by the grace of Jesus and his bloodshed. Father, to you be all glory in the name of Jesus Christ. And all the church said, amen. But let's, uh, let's sing one more time. what it means for our faithfulness to turn, or our, excuse me, our thankfulness, our thankfulness to turn into actions. I'll tell you just a quick story, uh, a little bit off subject, a little quick story. Um, used to, when people would, uh, would give their tithes or they would give their offerings, it was called giving alms. And they would give alms to the poor, and it was believed that somehow that giving of the alms to the poor uh, was somehow tied with your own personal salvation. But when it came to, uh, to, to taking care of poor people, uh, of course, you'd want to give money, 
Because in giving money, you were assuring yourself to go to heaven. That was the logic of the Catholic Church pre-Reformation. And so the poor people were oftentimes well taken care of. Martin Luther came along and he created something called the common chest. And what he said is, hey, no, listen, when you give money, it has nothing to really to take care of the poor. It's really not about tying up your personal salvation. That comes by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. He says, but, but really, we should all want to give out of thankfulness. What God's done to us, we turn around and we give alms to the poor. Uh, so you have this common chest, and he begins collecting tithes differently. You want to guess what happened? The common chest dried up. No money. You know why? Because people were willing to give to assure their own personal salvation, but people just aren't very good at turning thankfulness into action. Are you thankful? We, we've looked at a few people in Scripture, what they've done in their thankfulness. I just want to challenge you today. Let your thankfulness become action this Thanksgiving season. Go now and take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus, his son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Let's sing once more. Pardon for sin and the peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hands have provided. Great is thy Excited, it was wonderful to worship with you. Until next week, God bless.